Yeah, it's good to be in a cool church. Yeah. <laughs> it feels good. Does anybody have a prayer request I to lift up this morning? Uh, Brother Wayne, uh, Brother Ricky Price pulled up yeah. just a little earlier and he asked to please remember his mother, Miss Price, in prayer. Yeah. So, you know, with Christmas Carol, Miss yeah. Price, the last couple of years, she's probably the oldest lady in our community. But let's remember her. What's her, her name? He remembered my daddy. He's doing much better, but this is the first time we've left him. <laughs> so I just left him and said, Call me anyway. <laughs> Anyone else? Prayer request like this.
come and bring her to the Um, you got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Romans 8.28. Um, be a little while before we get there. It's a very familiar verse, but uh, probably a little bit different uh, story behind this than what, uh, what you might be used to. So, um, kind of start with, with a little bit of a, a backstory for me. And, and I've told some of this to some folks that have heard this here at, at church, but uh, probably not the whole story kind of put together in, in one uh, kind of one round but uh, when I was 12 years old my, my mom and dad got divorced um, and my dad uh, sometime shortly thereafter got got remarried uh, I was about 13 years old um, I'm kind of telling you some what would normally be considered unfortunate stories um, so about five years after that I graduated from high school we moved two states south the day after I graduated from high school, not something that you want your parents to do to you, I'll, I'll just tell you that. Um, ended up uh, working, going to college, flunked out of college, finally can call it what it is. It was, it was uh, for the longest time I you know, spun that a different direction. Uh, and then uh, ended up going to the Air Force and while I was in the Air Force, uh, dad got divorced again and got remarried while I was in the Air Force. So, you know, if you look at these things just, and that's the only context that you have, that's a, you know, pretty crummy series of events um, that go go around that, and it's, and it's hard to see good in those things. Um, until you start filling in some of the pieces that are in between that story. So, uh, when Dad got um, remarried the first time, um, the, the lady that he married had grown up uh, going to a missionary Baptist church in Kentucky. I, I, as far as I know, I know there's more than one, but uh, all the churches that were around where I grew up, most of them were Church of God, sorry, Church of Christ or Presbyterian or around where uh, uh, my family grew up, it was uh, a lot of Catholic churches. So you know, I, I didn't know the difference between the Missionary Baptist Church or, or any other Baptist church, but that was where I got saved. Amen. And so, you know, you throw in moving down here, you know, we moved uh, a couple of states away. And uh, I go uh, into the Air Force, come back uh, because my dad and my, my stepmother number two wanted me to come home and get out of the Air Force and come home and live with them. I think I was there about two weeks when they're like, uh, we're glad you're here, move out. Um, I was 24 when I did that, just saying that to the bearded one that's over here that, you know, <laughs> um, that's still at home. Um, the uh, not trying to get rid of you anytime soon, I promise. Um, so um, I'm looking for a job because you know I had a job when I was in the Air Force, but now I'm looking for a job, and I, I got a job at Macy's at the Galleria. And the next thing you know, I wind up with an interview for this place called More Handling that I had never sent a resume or put anything in. And um, I get that job. The, the stranger part about that, and I'll, I'll give the other explanation of this, but was the guy that I was hired to work with was on vacation, and his boss hired me without him being there. So uh, I later found out that the way that I got that job was uh, on the night before our wedding, my stepmother, and I got to tell this story to some of Lisa's friends uh, the, the day of the funeral, is that my stepmother had started sending resumes out left and right, trying to get me a job and get me out of the house. Um, and she successfully did that uh, by getting me a job at More Handling where I met your lovely daughter. And, uh, you know, so, so all these things together, you know, if you just look at them, I'd, I was walking the dog the other day listening to, to uh, daily Bible reading. It was the, the story of Joseph. And I, I know Joseph was sold and in prison, and his, his unfortunate events were a lot more unfortunate than mine were. 
Um, his highs were probably might be a little bit higher. I don't, I don't know, but um, when you put all those things together, though, um, I, I meet a girl. We get married in a missionary Baptist church. I happen to have been saved and baptized in a missionary Baptist church. Um, you know, these are things that you can't write that. You, you just, you know, I couldn't make it up if I wanted. Um, when, uh, right after I got saved, though, um, for, for anybody that's around me much, um, at least I knew this better than anybody, but uh, um, I'm a romantic. She would, she would love to watch cop shows, me trying to go to sleep while she's got gunfire going on in the background. I would, you know, um, you know, she's one of those, if, if I had gone first, you know, somebody needed to ask questions because she'd watched enough TV shows to know how to get rid of me without anybody knowing. Um, but, uh, you know, I would rather watch something with her that I, um, we were at the beach and Nikki was, I think, watching Pride and Prejudice or something. I would have rather watched that than a cop show. Um, but when I was about 13 or 14, I remember we had a, a finished basement, which was where my, my room was at. And uh, I remember just playing that God would send me a girl. And, and I only asked for three things. I asked that she was pretty. Um, I don't know why I wanted somebody that could sing and play an instrument. Um, turns out I should have asked for somebody who could also play by ear, not just reading music. But that's, that's a different story. But, um, so I, I tell you all this, you know, when you see things happen in your life or someone else's life that are unfortunate. Um, that doesn't always have to be the end of it. There's, before I get to the, the scripture, um, there's a, a singer, a Christian singer by the name of Corey Asbury that has a song called The Father's House. And there's a line in that song that says, the story isn't over, the story isn't good, and the failure is never final when the father's in the room. And you know, God took all those unfortunate things in my life and lined them up a certain way. Sure. And, you know, when you, when you read this verse, and I'll go ahead and read it. Um, so uh, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And you know, there's, there's a couple other things that are interesting in this. So... Uh, Bailey's best friend lost his father uh, sometime before they met at UAB. Is that right? It was uh, after UAB. After UAB. Um, Drew's got two friends that have lost parents. Um, and Kaysen has gotten to be really, really good friends with Andrew. They uh, whisper, they, they hang out at some of the same places. For those of y'all that haven't heard this, they, they were hanging out at the same place and some of their friends saw them and they're like, wow, you two really look a lot alike. And they're like, well, we should because we're cousins. Because um, they didn't know that. But um, one of Drew's friends was um, at the house the other day and I actually got to do this devotion before today with him because it was being able to share someone who hasn't grown up uh, you know, here or in church like, like my boys have to me able to tell him that you know there's there are bright sides to things that you don't think are, are good. Um, you know, you may not be able to see it at the time that it's happening. Um, so uh, I did want to read this in the the Bible that I've got um, life application today Bible and it had a good explanation. I was I was going to try to say this on my own, but I just want to read this and then I'll finish. Um, it says God works out all things, not just isolated isolated incidents for our good. That does not mean that all that happens to us is good. Evil is prevalent in our fallen world, but God is able to turn it around for our long-range good. Note that God is not working to make us happier, but to fulfill His purpose. Note also that this promise is not for everybody. It can be claimed only by those who love God and are fitting into God's plans. Those who are called are those the Holy Spirit convinces and enables to receive Christ. Such people have a new perspective, a new mindset on life. They trust in God, not life's treasures. They look to their security in heaven, but not on earth. They learn to accept, not resent, pain and persecution because they know God is with them. Amen. Uh, just reading that is just, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the boys and I are going through a tough time. But, uh, 
I already know I've, I've got enough proof that you know that there can still be something good and joyful that could come out of this. I have no idea what that is. Um, you know, as as my sweet mother-in-law reminds me, you know, that I'm a young man and there there might be somebody else. Um, then she scared me and mentioned the phrase uh, second mother-in-law and that she had to be the favorite. And I think second mother-in-law is one of the scariest phrases I've ever heard in English language. Um, but, uh, you know, God can, God can use this too for good. Um, but, you know, the thought that I would leave with you uh, is, you know, if you had something that you view as not what you would have desired happen or unfortunate, uh, just know that, um, you know, God can use, you know, your brother selling you into slavery and being put in prison to do amazing things. You know, he, he can uh, use the things in your life to do amazing things as well. So, anyway, um, does anyone have a word or a testimony? I know we've, we've kind of done that already, but uh, does anyone have a thought or anything they'd like to share? Well, if not, we'll go ahead and take our classes at this time. everyone let's try some better color today I worked with it this week to try to get a little bit better uh, for our visitors this morning uh, we're continuing can't believe we spent this long but uh, hopefully everyone's enjoyed it we've learned a little bit uh, I was blessed to spend two weeks in Israel back in March and took a few pictures and uh, we've been going over them and some of the things that were there and uh, if you're interested in them, I have them on a thumb drive on the back bench if you want to take them home, and you're welcome to have them, keep them, look at them. We left off, we were at the uh, west bank of the Dead Sea in southern Israel, and we were at a place called Masada. And that's where Herod had built his southernmost outpost. Uh, it was also the last place that the Romans took when they destroyed Jerusalem and all the rest of Israel in about 68 to 70 A.D. Uh, this was the last place. Everything else had been conquered, and it took them years to do it. It's like, why bother such a small amount of people? But nobody wanted to go home and tell the Caesar, well, we got almost everybody. That usually didn't go over very well. So we had looked at... A uh, couple of things to review because you can see them a lot better. This is on an unbelievably tall mountain. We had to take a cable car to get up to it. But on the side where the mountain went even higher, the Romans built a ramp. Okay, Pam. <laughs> and if I hit the right button this time, this would have been the walls of uh, the, the city, the outpost. And they filled all this, uphill would have been this way. So they filled this up with dirt and then built a big tower. And from that, they attacked. And so the next picture now that you'll see is what's still left of that ramp. And today you'd have built that with uh, earth movers and bulldozers. It's huge. But this is the view that the people that were in this city at the time, the Jews, would have seen as... Rome built that mountain to get to them. All right, Pam. 
Now we're coming down the cable car, and this is just another place. This was a little, I don't know what you call it, a little retreat that he had built into the side of a mountain. Remember, the goal here is to stay cool. You've got us to have shade because it gets awfully hot in this part of Israel. And that's just a view from on top looking back towards the uh, Dead Sea. And there's the rocks that they would use to throw at people trying to get up the side of the wall. And that was all underwater at one time. But the Dead Sea is dying. Now there's the cable car. When we went back down, you get an idea how high we were on that mountain. And on the way down, where these bricks were, or bricks, excuse me, rocks, were in a square, that's one of the places where the Roman soldiers would stay as they were attacking the city. They had them all the way around it. So those are still there. Just a view of how high you really are, and you can see off in the distance there's another one. Is that a I think so, Pam. Wasn't very high, though. And just a few shots of, thank goodness, she was in Utah and not Israel. But just how barren a lot of it is. Nothing green. There was some green, which was unusual. It had, we were in the rainy season. They got maybe two inches of rain that month. But normally that's what it was. This is what in the book of, well, the books of the Exodus would have been called the wilderness for the obvious reason. We think of wilderness, we think of jungle, right? No, wilderness in Israel is barren, rocky lands. You could eat if it were wilderness like we thought about. There's nothing big to drink out here. Now we come to another place. If you'll notice in this area, all of a sudden there's trees lining both sides of the valley here and here. And the valley turns and goes back up this way. And as we go up this valley on the, to our right, which is looking to the west, there's all kind of caves. This is the valley where David went into the cave and cut Saul's skirt. They don't know which cave, but one of these caves. And there's plenty of them. And they're much bigger than they look. I mean, you're a good distance away. I'm using about a 200 millimeter lens. But Saul was sleeping in one of these caves. Now, the last, why, would, why did he pick that valley? Right there, there was water coming out of the side of that rock in that valley. And it wasn't just a dribble. It was a good stream of water, as you can see. So when I, when I now hear the expression water coming out of a rock, I will always think of this valley. It was really coming. Now you see, just to the side, it's, it's rock again. But right there where that water was, it was actually coming out about right there and coming through. And you can see it was such a stark contrast to see green. I don't know if you can hardly see it, but it's running down through there. Just out in the middle of where there's nothing but rocks and dirt. And all oh, they had to get in it. But you can, well, back up just a tad, Pam. There you can see it falling down. And that's just looking back at it. But you go from green to rock in, you know, 10 yards. 
But where that 10 yards was, you had water, fresh water. Just all kind of caves. So pick your cave to put Saul in. Why would you stay in a cave? It's cool and it's protected. And there's actually a creek runs out of that valley, which is really, really rare. Ah, it just pictures the Dead Sea. And that's what things normally look like. But you can see when it did rain back in Jerusalem, you would get the runoff coming all the way down here and bring rock, little rocks with it. And actually, we're still clearing the road at one place we went from a recent water-caused water ran over the road and filled it up because it can't soak in. <coughs> the eastern bank of the Dead Sea is mountains. And really so is the western bank. It's uphill all the way to Jerusalem. You can see better. Go back, Pam. Now you can see better. See the salt line. That's not sand. That's salt and minerals. And if you can see it, see where the water will, you know, how far, I don't remember, Jerusalem, the water would travel and eventually make it into the Dead Sea. Now, this rock was, we were, there's a highway, and then to the east, well, let me put this, if my back's to the Dead Sea and I'm looking west, there's a line right there. That's where the Dead Sea used to be. And now we're driving where it used to be. You had to look up at that line. Now you can see it better. And that's all because they dammed, put a dam at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee for drinking water. Is there any wildlife around the Dead Sea, like seabirds? Um... Nope. There's nothing for the seabirds to eat. There's no fish. There's no life in the Dead Sea. That's a good name for it. Yes, that's exactly why it's named that. All right, we'll stop there a second. In this area also, uh, there's a group of people in the, in the old, I don't know what you'd call it, not really a fortress, I guess it was just there where they lived, called the Essenes, E-S-S-E. N-E-S, I believe, Essenes. They were a group kind of like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, not, not prominently mentioned in the Bible, but they were really important people. What they were famous for is a couple of things, and one of them was writing things down. They were prolific writers, and they wrote uh, their community rules, their laws. They wrote history. They also wrote copies of the Bible books. And this is, that is a replica. Keep going, Pam. I think I've got a better picture of one of what the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in. What they believe is when the Romans came to conquer, they hid these in caves. And it's an interesting story how they found them. Apparently, a, a younger shepherd and I don't know, it's hard to imagine, but there's lions in this area <clears throat> and bears. Remember the story on David said he'd killed a bear and a lion and you just didn't go in a cave. That was a dangerous thing to do for a shepherd. But apparently he had a, sheep, a little small sheep go in a cave, so he throws a rock in and he hears a crash like glass breaking. So that did get his curiosity enough, he went in and he was one of the he was the first one to discover one of these containers with writings in it. This was in 1947, just a few years after Israel had become a nation again. And every and as they've explored since then the different caves, they have found all kinds of writings which really opened up understanding of how they lived, how people of Israel lived, 
but they also found partial or complete copies of every book in the Bible but Esther. The com most complete one was Isaiah. Now this Old Testament, obviously. I shouldn't say every book of the Bible. Old Testament. So these would be the oldest manuscripts of the Bible known. Okay? And they were, they were hid up in those caves. There were caves just like... And they found different things of pottery and such where those people lived. And there are some containers that they found. And there is a, it's not the originals, but it's copies of what they look like. And remember, I don't know how, but you read right to left. So just keep that in mind. But that's why they're called the Dead Sea. They were scrolled up like you'd imagine a scroll where you opened it with both hands. They're, the originals and all are held at the uh, Jewish Museum of Art in Jerusalem. Okay. Now let's talk. This, this story just grows and grows. Let's talk about these people. The name of this place is called Qumran. Am I pronouncing that right, Maggie? Qumran? These Essenes that live there, um, there's argument whether it was just, just males, like a, or you say a monastery, or if they had a, it was a community. But one of the things that they did was they were very strict, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, about community. And one of the things that they really, two things they really pushed. One was, when, once you took a pledge to be part of their group, you did not eat any food prepared by someone outside the community. Remember that. The second was they strictly believed that immersion in water helped and would purify. Purification by immersion in water. That's something they really pushed. And thirdly, they were great at copying and writing things down. Okay, Pam. This is just this next several pictures are just some of the places where they lived. Now, this is one of the more interesting places. This is, this is one of the places for the purification. Bath or, or immersion really is what it was. And notice there's two ways you can go. There's two ways. Because as you went down, you didn't want to touch somebody that was coming out. Because they were purified. And sometimes they would actually build a wall in between. But you would, you know, and they had a water supply and they had a lot of these where they could store their water. There wasn't any water in them now, but, but the thing to remember here is that they were really strict about being purified in the water. We'll come back to that. That's just a better example, a way in and a way out. And you see that cave? It's just when you're looking up to the west in the mountains, you can see some of the caves. I forgot how many they've actually found. See the one there, the little one above it. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. See one there, one there, one there, there, there. How they got up there, I hadn't figured out. <laughs> and they call them the Scroll Cave. This is a national park, actually. All right, now let's stop and let me, let me tell you the... Now, let me preface this. There is zero scripture for this, okay? We all clear on that. What I'm telling you is what they have assumed to be truth. All right, what do we know about, about the uh, Essenes? Ritual of immersion to purify, and you didn't eat any food made by anyone outside of your community. All right. 
Let's talk about John the Baptist a minute. Who was his parents? Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were very old, right? We hear of nothing of John's childhood. When we hear from him, he's coming on the scene. Well, two things. Qumran would have been the well, what over the seminary of Israel at the time because of all the writings they had and they had kept. And they would recruit young men, obviously, to keep, keep it going. So the question, I'll put it that way, the question is, did John the Baptist spend time there as a child? And when we finally read about John the Baptist, what does it say? What did he come eating? Did anybody prepare that? No. And by the way, a locust is a grasshopper on steroids, okay? Yeah. He would not, according to the scripture, he wasn't eating food that people prepared. He ate wild food. A big hint there. And what was he famous for? Baptizing. So the big question there is, did, Cum did John the Baptist spend some time at Qumran? Not scripture. Let me say that again, but just... One of those things when you got back on the bus, you went, hmm, that was interesting. So, and remember, unlike here, it's not this far between places. Yeah. Okay, Pam. See, this all was underwater. Behind us. And we finally made it to the Dead Sea. Most people's comments is overrated. Especially the ones that got in it. It's 1,400 feet below sea level and it's over a thousand feet deep, even further. Okay, Pam. Uh, unless you can see this, but you could buy any color minerals to put in your water you wanted pink, orange, red. Because as the water evaporates, what's left? The minerals. There's no outlet from the Dead Sea. Everything that runs in stays there. There's a company there that actually mines and sells it, and it's like a $3 billion a year industry. Marilyn likes her little thing of cleanser. I got her. I did do that. I was that smart. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, but the thing, that, the thing is this, 420 below sea level. Yeah. Just something to remind me to read later. And there was the Dead Sea, and across the Dead Sea is Syria, Jordan. Depends on where you are. And there's the people that wanted to get in the Dead Sea. Uh, for those that wasn't here when we talked about it a little earlier, salt water is 7% saline. The great uh, not the great. Utah, Great Salt Lake is about 14% saline. This is 38. I had nicked my finger earlier that day and I stuck my water in that and it's like putting it in a fire. It burns so bad. I can't imagine somebody getting in the water. You know, just walking through the woods and getting briar cuts and taking a shower, bad enough, but I can't imagine doing it in this salt bath. Okay, Pam. This is the water, and that's the bank. It's just interesting how... And you could see about an eighth of an inch deep into the water. It was more like... Well, it wasn't completely surf, but it... That's what the Dead Sea looked like. Milky might be a good word for it. And see that drop? It hung there forever. I just stuck my hand in it and brought my hand out. Almost like syrup. It's so much thicker than normal water. And there's somebody floating on the Dead Sea. <laughs> really high, don't you? Yeah, oh yeah, you're almost sitting on top of the water. 
but they warned you over and over, don't get it in your eyes. Now remember, this is a, where the Dead Sea is, all the way up through Sea of Galilee, is a fault line, the North African fault. Now just, just FYI, that's a typical car in Israel. They had three colors, white, black, and silver. That was about it. And they were smaller, kind of Camry size. And there were lots of white cars. Maryland would have went nuts. <laughs> Now, when I happened to be there that, let's see, it was their Sunday, my Saturday. That's okay. They had their 13th annual Have Fun Marathon. And it ran right down the western wall, not the west wall that people pray at, but the western wall of the city. Go ahead, just scroll through them, Pam. But they had a ball. I'm trying to remember what that is at the moment. Oh, it's a, it's a picture of what the wall looks like if you look from above. Yeah, the old city. I, I was just thinking when you said from above, I bet you couldn't take a drone and fly it. Oh, no. Oh, no. If you want to get it shot down, you could. <laughs> and this is what it would have looked like. You know, there would have been the temple itself. This was the hotel we stayed at, the King David Hotel. It was nice. All right, there's just a street in uh, downtown Jerusalem. Not a lot different than um, Tel Aviv. Once you, it's like two different cities. Old Jerusalem inside the wall and Jerusalem proper outside the wall. Totally different cities, totally different worlds. They used dollars? No. Shekels. Eight or seven for gas. Yeah, but that's 807 shekels. Shekels about a quarter. Okay. So similar. But that's not a gallon, that's a liter. That's expensive. Yeah. Can't hardly see the flowers. Now they're just, I just started snapping pictures of people. And there's a traditional Jewish person with the beard long enough you could grab it and it'd stick out below your little finger. Um, got his hat on. He looks like Bible days. Yeah. But he knows how to use a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Now I took this picture. This would have been the patios of families. Space is at a premium. I mean, you could have eight families right here. Parking's at a premium, too. But a lot of people do not have cars. They take the mass transit. <coughs> Lots of cedar trees. Lots of cedar trees. And as I mentioned before, they love roundabouts, but they do decorate them. Oh, back up just a second, Pam. I just saw. Yeah, there's another place. Those are patios. And you can see here, people are packed in. To what we're used to. They don't think anything about it. That's normal. And that would be a street, which, you know, two cars meeting is going to be tough. That walkway? Yeah. Yeah. And you see these things, and it's kind of neat. King Solomon Street. And we were, you couldn't even cross the street till all the runners got through, and that took a while. <laughs> they even had people pushing their babies in strollers on the marathon. 
but a totally different atmosphere than inside the old city. Now, I want you to notice, go back, I want you to notice something. What did I say the favorite color of clothing was for Israel? Black. You would, everybody I saw practically to a, to a single person had something of black on them. In that dark color of soil state. Yep, I know. I don't understand that. But they did. Isn't that like uh, religious something like party or something? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Now their black pants may have an Adidas stripe on them. You know, they were they were hip, some of the younger ones, but it was still black. So that's just another one you as you funnel down the street, here was the entrance over here into the Jaffa Gate. felt perfectly safe here. And they went under the bridge and we could walk down, go across the bridge and go in the gate. You think we have surveillance cameras? Check that one out. Yeah, for real. Come on in, come on in, come on in. Yeah. And just some more of the architecture, that same color. Just the street. No, they call it their expo. That's right. Back up. Uh, see the emblem there? Cut out of it. Yeah. That was one of the things significant to the Jaffa Gate. There's only this. You know, this goes all the way around Old Jerusalem. There's only eight ways you can get in. Seven original, one was added. I was just three Israeli kids saw my camera and decided they'd pose for me. So I took their picture. Hey, why not? They were runners. Yeah. And that's standing looking down the wall to give you an idea how tall it was. Uh, we gotta stop there. It's, we're out of time. Any questions? This has given a lot of perspective to size, distance to me. I, I just always assumed it was further. No. My imagination is off. Yeah, me too, Bobby. Right, well, again, if you want, there's thumb drives on the back bench if you want a copy of these photos just to look through in your spare time. All right.